Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word for us. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself garden and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Caleb, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I would love to do that today. But as we've had the scripture read uh, to us, let's go to the Lord in prayer to ask him to speak to us today. Dear Lord, thank you for this privilege that we have to gather together with other believers and to praise and worship you. And God, I ask that you would speak uh, clearly and effectively through me today and that all of us would be attuned to hear um, what you would have to say to us about who we are, about who you are, about this world, and empower us to respond uh, with faith and trust in you and in obedience as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, did you know that you could trap a monkey by just the promise of pleasure. And I'm being serious, and, and as I, listen to me as I describe this, because you never know when you'll be stranded on a jungle island and need to trap monkeys for food, so this might come in handy. But this, this is how you do it if you, want, if you want to trap a monkey. What you gotta do is you get a coconut or a gourd, and you make a little hole in that coconut, and you fill it with some food of some kind, hang it on a tree, and then wait for a monkey to come along, the monkey's gonna come along, stick its hand in that little hole to grab the food, but in doing so, he's gonna grab the food and make a fist with his hand to hold onto it. And, and because he's made a fist, he won't be able, as he's here, to pull his hand out of the gourd or coconut. And in doing so, he's trapped. The promise of pleasure from that food is too great, and the monkey won't be able to leave. All he has to do is just let go of the food in his hand. He can pull his hand out and leave, but he just won't do it. And then you can come along and uh, capture the monkey like this and just untie it from the tree. And there you have a monkey for dinner, if you'd like, you know, to survive in this stranded jungle island. Uh, but as you see here, the, all the monkey has to do, let go of the food, pull his hand free, and he'll be free. But he can't, and even when the humans come to get him, he's still holding on to that gourd in his hand, just refusing to let go of that food. Did you know, as a human being, we can also be trapped in the same way by the promise of pleasure? And today in Ecclesiastes, our passage is going to show us that. How, uh, as we've been going through this book of Ecclesiastes, we're looking, up at, we're looking at life up in smoke. 
and how this book records the words of the teacher who was one of the most successful, richest, and wisest kings in the history of Israel, likely King Solomon. And this book records his words of how he is talking uh, in different ways to deconstruct and poke holes in our attempts to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in this life. He says, she shows us how all these ways we try to to, to satisfy ourselves, how they're ultimately meaningless, uh, how they're ultimately vanities of vanities. He uses this Hebrew word, havel, to describe all these ways under the sun that we try to find meaning. And this word, havel, it literally means smoke, mist, or vapor. It's something that seems like it has like a form and substance, but just when you reach out to grab onto it, you'll find that the smoke will just slip through your fingers. The teacher is something of a maze or like puzzle master, someone who has who's lived in this maze or labyrinth of life, and he's tried every way out under the sun to find meaning and satisfaction and every way out possible, but none of them lead out. All of them are, end, are a dead end in themselves. And, and we might think maybe if you're a good moral person or you accumulate lots of wisdom or you do really well in your career, that's the way to find meaning and satisfaction in life. But the teacher is telling us each of those ways is actually a dead end because I've tried them and listen to my firsthand experience. But we must keep in mind as we go through this book that the teacher, as his words are recorded in Ecclesiastes, is not the author of the book. That an anonymous author in Israel's wisdom tradition has recorded the words of the teacher, and he has a little introduction and a conclusion that kind of frame what the teacher is saying um, in its broader scriptural narrative. But he does say, even though this teacher may not have the whole story of, of the Bible in mind, he does give a really good description of the current story and the current chapter we are in in living in a broken and fallen world. And he speaks truth that we need to hear. No matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient that truth may be, we need to hear it to develop wisdom. And Pastor Ben did a great job last week explaining how we need to face the darkness and, and see life for how it is uh, to gain wisdom. And that's what the teacher does for us in Ecclesiastes. And so today we're going to see how the, how the teacher um, explains that in relation to pleasure, how we may think that's a way out, but actually it's just another dead end in life. So if you, if you want to turn to Ecclesiastes 2 uh, with me, if you haven't done so already, and today from this passage, we're going to see three things about pleasure. First, we're going to see how pleasure promises much, but in the end, when pleasure is, is, is pursued above all else, pleasure produces pain. And then third, we're going to see that's because pleasure was meant to point beyond itself. So pleasure promises, pleasure produces pain, and pleasure points. That's what we're going to see today. So first, pleasure promises. So it's only after the teacher, right, he's tried to find meaning in life through wisdom and accumulating knowledge and understanding, does he turn now to consider pleasure. And he says um, in, 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 in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Now, at first, there's something that seems so right about this. You know, one of our most basic biological instincts, right, is to avoid pain and seek pleasure. Even in our country, the United States of America, in many ways, we're a country built on this concept. Just on the, de our de the Declaration of Independence for our nation, it are one of the three main rights described, in addition to life and liberty, is the pursuit of happiness. And we've grown up in this country where one of the primary um, ideas or, or founding myths of our nation is this American dream, right? If you work really, really hard, you'll be able to earn enough money to pursue pleasure, pursue your happiness however you want. And this is even um, displayed and communicated in very common everyday ways. Just think about the Disney movies you watched growing up as a kid. 
what, what, what underlying message they communicated. In every Disney movie I watched as a kid, uh, the main character only found happily ever after by looking deep within themselves, finding what their deepest desire was in their heart, and living that out. No matter what their society, their friends, their family said, they found happily ever after by living and seeking after their own uh, happiness. So whether it's the little mermaid, you know, saying, uh, but who cares about all this stuff? No big deal. I want more. I want to be where the people are. And then she becomes a human and finds happily ever after there. Or if it's Aladdin, who grows up poor but wants to be a prince, sings about that. By the end of the story, he has this princess and he's a prince and he's happy there. These stories like subtly communicate this idea that you'll only be happy if you seek after your own desires, if you seek after what you think will give you pleasure. We, we can so easily think that if we just have something, this one thing uh, that we want, we'll finally find happiness and satisfaction. When I was six or seven, there was this one toy I really, really wanted. And I told my parents, hey, if you buy me this toy for Christmas, you never have to get me a toy ever again. Like, this is it. Like, like the last gift you'll ever get me. This is a great deal for you guys. And it was a Transformers action figure. But not just any Transformers action figure. It was one that could change from, like, a car into the action figure and back. It's, like, super cool toy. But I waited for, like, two years to get this. And I would ask, like, every birthday, every Christmas for two years for this toy. Um, my parents didn't get it for me because in Uganda, where we grew up, these weren't sold in stores there. And so it took a while for me to finally get it. So I finally got this Transformers action figure, and I was super excited about it. I loved it. What do you think happened? Do you think I kept my end of the bargain and never asked for a toy ever again or a present the rest of my life? Of course not. The next year, I was saying the same thing about the GameCube. <laughs> and so we'll find that you might, we might think there's one thing, and it promises that it'll satisfy us and give us meaning in life. But actually, in the end, that's not true. That doesn't work out how we think it would. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he tries that. And he tells us in verse 3 that I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wisdom, my heart still guiding me, or with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He then details in, in verses 4 through 8 all the different ways that he tries to pursue pleasure. These are pleasures of a king, something only a king in that day would be able to afford. They are pleasures that, that are so many different kinds that fit every five cents um, of sense perception you can find here in these verses. He then in verse 9 describes the extent to which he pursued pleasure. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. So then in verse 11, the next verse, he, he tells us his reward for all that he spent to gain these things to please himself. Then I considered the, all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Turns out, pleasure oversells and underdelivers. Because in the end, in life under the sun, we are all going to die. And we won't be able to take our toys, our Transformers action figures, with us into the next life. It, le it stays with us here. And so if this life is all there is, pursuing pleasure is a dead end. It's a vanity. It's Havel. It's reaching after smoke, trying to grab it, but it just slips through your fingers. Because though pleasure promises much, in the end, pleasure produces pain. It does this when it's pursued without limits. 
So the teacher, as he's describing how he's going about um, pursuing pleasure, he uses language that's meant to cause his original reader or audience to think of the Garden of Eden, to think of the first few chapters in the Bible. He talks about how he built uh, gardens and pools to water all kinds of fruit trees. Um, That's language intentionally trying to get people to think about Genesis chapter 2 and God creating the garden. But unlike in Eden, where God had established good limits for Adam and Eve for their own good uh, to, to limit what they, what they could, could enjoy, here, the, the teacher, there's no limit to what he can desire, what he can have. He says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Which is similar language to Genesis chapter 3 and how it talks about how um, Adam and Eve saw that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a delight to their eyes. And just like in Genesis 3, when their pursuit of pleasure brought pain and death and sin and suffering into this world, so also here, as the teacher pursues pleasure without any limits, it also produces pain as well. It also produces pain when your pursuit of pleasure is self-focused. In that section, verses 4 through 8, as he's listing all these various ways and things that he tried to do to find pleasure and satisfaction, he, he, he lists them all out, and one of his problems in describing them is it's clear that his main goal in seeking out all these different areas for pleasure was his own satisfaction. So just eight times, or at least eight times, in these, just these five verses, he uses this Hebrew phrase, for me. And most English translations like kind of smooth this over because it's so overly redundant and just sounds like bad English and really isn't readable. So they smooth it out. But literally, he's saying... I built houses for me. I planted vineyards for me. I made gardens for me. I made pools for me. Slaves were born for me. I had herds and flocks for me. I gathered silver and gold for me. I got singers for me. Eight times in just five verses, emphasizing how his his pursuit of pleasure was solely self-focused. And as he was pursuing pleasure with only his own satisfaction in mind, he found that satisfaction actually didn't reach him. It slipped through his fingers. Pleasure produces pain when it's exclusively self-focused. This kind of pain that pleasure produces is also pain for other people. In verse 7, he says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house, and I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who were before me in Jerusalem. So in the same breath, the teacher can say, can talk about owning animals and people in the same sentence. And this just makes me wonder, who really built all these parks and gardens and houses for this teacher to enjoy and try to find his own satisfaction? Himself or the people that he owned and forced to work for nothing? And this is something even observed by the earliest Christian commentaries that we have on Ecclesiastes. Gregory of Nyssa a pastor and theologian from Turkey, uh, writing in the 4th century AD, he says this about, about this exact verse in Ecclesiastes. Do you see here a pride which makes false pretensions? Such words as they rise up against God. As prophecy has told us, all things serve God whose power is over them. As for the person who appropriates to himself what belongs to God and attributes to himself power over the human race as if he were its Lord, how can you, that person, who are equal in all things, have superiority, so that as a man, you consider yourself a man's ruler and say, I have servants and maidens, as if they were goats or cattle. 
You see, Christians from the beginning have rightly seen that slavery is incompatible with the belief that God created all human beings in his image. And this is something that tragically white Christians in this country willingly ignored for so long, and we're still seeing the side effects and consequences, the dire consequences of that today in our, in our culture. See, ple- pursuing pleasure produces pain for others, even for generations after you've gone. And we still see this across our world today. One thing that produces a lot of joy and pleasure for myself um, and billions of soccer fans around the world as well is the FIFA World Cup. Every four years, it only happens every four years, and I spend those four years looking forward to the FIFA World Cup, and this year it's gonna be in Qatar. And I'm super excited. They've built these incredible stadiums, these really, the most beautiful soccer stadiums in the world to host these highest quality soccer matches. But unfortunately, even here, this, this has a dark side where this pleasure has produced deep pain for other people. I'm sure you might, may have heard that since Qatar has been awarded the World Cup, over 6,500 migrant workers have died in building these stadiums. And this is a, a, a really great in-depth report from The Guardian. They did some really great in-depth research into this. And if you go and read the article, which is more than a year old, so this number should be higher, they talk in the article, this is a low estimate. The, the number is probably much higher of workers who died in, in poor working conditions constructing these beautiful stadiums and these other amenities for the country to host this amazing event, all so that we can watch 22 people chase a ball around a field at the end of the day. And this is something that I, as a soccer fan, who gets so much pleasure from watching soccer, I wake up 6.30 on Saturday mornings to watch soccer. I love it that much. I have to really wrestle with how can, can I in good conscience, watch the World Cup this year? Can I participate in a pleasure that's gonna make me so happy, but knowing that it's come at a cost for these people, these people have sacrificed for me to enjoy that? We see this in our own country as well, where people's pursuit of pleasure brings harm for other people. Our consumeristic desire to have cheap goods and services whenever we want them can lead to workers being taken advantage of, right, to meet our, our desires. I was shocked to learn recently that the most deadly um, occupation during the height of the coronavirus pandemic was line workers, or uh, line cooks, people who flip burgers and and cook food in fast food industry. According to a University of California study analyzing death rates from before the COVID, before the pandemic and then after the pandemic, seeing the increase in excess deaths, the the occupations that saw the highest increase, or many occupations, including line cooks, were the highest, but a lot of other low-wage essential workers saw death rates similar to or greater than that of healthcare workers. And I don't say that to minimize, please remember, I don't say to minimize the sacrifices healthcare and medical workers have done in the pandemic, but just to make us think, right, how does our pursuit of pleasure um, bring pain for other people, especially for those on the lower end of the earning scale who, who are the lowest wage earners in our culture? And of course, there are a lot of complexities, right, in determining public health policy, and one of the reasons why line cooks were experienced the greatest um, death rate was just think about how hard it would be to wear a mask in a really close, cramped kitchen where it's so hot. But do we really think about uh, the costs other people pay to, so that we can enjoy pleasures, can enjoy entertainment and food at such a cheap and low cost? And I, th- I would say that their death rate of, of these low-wage workers and their stagnant wages suggests not that we as a society don't value the work they do appropriately. And I'll tell you, for me at least, just a few weeks ago, 
I, I discovered as I was driving through the, the drive-thru at Wendy's uh, for lunch one day that the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger 4 for 4 had moved from the $4 menu to the $5 Biggie Bag menu. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I got, I got really ticked off at first. That is my go-to lunch, only $4, a killer deal for a lunch when I get a lunch and a pinch, and it moved, it increased a dollar. I just got so frustrated initially, and then I caught myself, and I realized this is the same feeling, the same pressure to have what we want, and it's such a cheap cost that leads to businesses trying to cut costs however they can to appease consumers, which leads so often to workers being taken advantage of, to having benefits cut, wages kept low, all so we as a country can enjoy Junior bacon cheeseburgers for $4. <laughs> Pleasure produces pain for others. And the teacher continues telling us the different ways his pleasure hurt others. In verse 8, he talks about, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. See, King Solomon, who is either the teacher himself or his inspiration, we're told in Scripture, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So a thousand women that he had and acquired uh, to meet his own sexual pleasure, to have a thousand different potential partners to please him, he turned these women into objects for his own pleasure. And even today, the, the pursuit of sexual pleasure is something that's so easy to deceive ourselves or deceive yourself that it doesn't affect anyone. You may think, like, no one knows if I watch pornography in my house. Like, what, it's not hurting anyone else. But do you think about the women and men on the other side of the screen who are being taken advantage of to try and satisfy you? Or do you think about the many scientific studies that have shown that, that watching that kind of uh, material re rewires our brain and trains us to view other people as objects instead of image bearers that they are? Pleasure produces pain for others. But also, pleasure produces pain for yourself as well. What does the teacher say about the outcome of pursuing all these different avenues of pleasure to their extent without, with only his self-focus in mind and without any God-given limitations? Vanities of vanities, utterly futile, like striving after the wind. He's tried his way out of this labyrinth of life and he says, pursuing pleasure is a dead end. You're gonna die and you can't take any of your toys with you. And this should really be so obvious to all of us here today. Because when the teacher is describing in Ecclesiastes the different ways he pursued pleasures, he's describing things that only, like the top 1%, only a king in that day could have. But actually today, most people in this country are able to live the lifestyle of a king in the ancient Near East. We have so much food in this country, so much food we don't even know what to do with. Over a third of the food we produce in America, we just throw in the trash. Back then, you could only have a fruit if it was in season. But today, we can have an avocado anytime you want. Back then, King Solomon would have had to pay to bring a comedian um, or, or a storyteller into his court to tell jokes or tell an entertaining story. But today, there's no end to the entertainment that we can watch. Right? There's always another show on Netflix. And yet still, if you're like my wife and I, we can sit on the couch for 30, 45 minutes scrolling through and be like, mm, nothing looks good today. You know, we just won't watch anything. When we're overwhelmed, sensory overload with many ways to amuse and please ourselves. Also back then, the teacher, he would have had to hire singers and musicians to come and play songs for him. But today, you can play any song you want 
any time you want, from any time period of, of, of music, anywhere you want, at just a click of a button on your phone. And yet, you, you would think if, if pleasure is something that is going to make meaning in life and have us satisfied and bring us ultimate satisfaction and purpose, we would have achieved it by now. We've done what the teacher has done and even surpassed him in many ways. And yet, we as a country and our, our generations here today are no more satisfied, no more happy, no more fulfilled than any other generations. And if anything, we are actually more lonely, more anxious, more restless than ever before. And we all, and I, though we, we all intellectually, I'm sure we would all agree, everyone in this room would agree with that. We can all intuitively think that maybe I'm the exception to the rule. Maybe I can pursue this pleasure or numb myself with this way, uh, this uh, amusement and entertainment, and I'll be all right, even though we know it doesn't work out in the end. But if, if in the end we just pursue pleasure, above all else, it causes pain for ourselves. And just like that monkey we saw at the beginning, with his hand stuck in the coconut, we're, we're entrapped by our own desire. All we have to do is let go, and we'll be free. But we just can't. We, re we refuse, and we still hang on to that hope that pleasure will satisfy us. But though pleasure promises much, in the end, pleasure produces pain. That's because pleasure was always meant to point beyond itself, because pleasure points over the sun. So the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he consistently has this refrain talking about life under the sun. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. And it's something that he is saying to describe the fallen state of the world. The world, because of sin and death, um, and how, and how the, a view of the world, how the, the picture of how God will redeem it once in the future. And we need to hear this. We need to sit in this, although it's uncomfortable, because that's the chapter of the story, of the biblical story we are in currently. We're in a broken and fallen world. But, but the good news is that there is life over the sun. There is a life beyond this life where God will restore everything to the way it's supposed to be. And the teacher, he gets close to saying this in chapter 3, verse 11. He remarks that God has put eternity into man's heart, into every human, man and woman's heart. See, the heart is the seat of our desires. It's where we experience pleasure, deep longings, our, our, our deepest desires come out of our heart. And, and the teacher is saying, this is where God has placed a desire for eternity. And this eternity, it's not some future disembodied spiritual state but actually, eternity in the Hebrew and, and, and the early Christian mindset is an eternity where the earth is, is restored to how God originally created it. And we live here and dwell with God in real physical embodied um, bodies and gets you experience God through pleasures there. It's, it's pointing to a life the way it's supposed to be. So the solution to preventing pleasure from controlling us and from dominating us, it's not to just repress our desires and to seek to avoid them um, and, and bury them down because pleasure points beyond itself. It's meant to point us to God and, and, and to be being fulfilled in the one who created them. C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. These things are good images of what we really desire, 
But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only a scent of a flower we've not yet found, the echo of a tune we've not yet heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. You see, every pleasure we can experience here on earth was created by God to reveal to us something of his goodness. Food, right, reminds us of God's abundant provision for us. Sex is meant to point us to the intimacy we are made to experience with God. Laughter connects us to God's joy. And so in response to this, because each way of pursuing pleasure in life is, was created by God to, to point beyond itself to him, because that is true, we should enjoy pleasure as God's gift. Since pleasure points to God, merely just uh, repressing our desires will not work and gets us actually no closer to him. And that's where most religions and religious people fall short and, 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 and accept a false assumption about pleasure. That because, but it's because it points beyond to God and it's his gift to us, we should enjoy it. And the teacher continues in chapter 3, verse 12, after he recognizes that these desires in his heart are really a longing for eternity with God. He says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And this is God's gift to man and woman. See, in this life, we enjoy things only as God's gift to us, not as our inalienable right to pursue happiness. Because since pleasure is a gift, it's not something we can just choose to do with it whatever we please. We're not entitled to it. It's God's gift to us. And so to enjoy pleasure as God's gift means to enjoy pleasure on God's terms. The teacher, he went wrong when he pursued pleasure without any limits in mind and with doing whatever his eyes desired, pursuing after that. And so and us in the same way, whether it be sex or whether it be finances, food, drink, friends, entertainment, any kind of pleasure you can imagine, God has revealed wisdom to us through scripture about what is the best way, best timing, right amount to enjoy that pleasure. And we should follow, and we should, we should obey and follow God's wisdom. And not just because the Bible says so, but also because it corresponds to how God created the world, the world he created. Pleasure is his invention, not ours. We should follow him in how we use it. And we know this, right? Pleasure has a diminishing return. You have one, one slice of chocolate cake and you'll think, wow, that's great. I bet you two slices are twice as great. But that's not true. The second slice is worse than the first. <laughs> and that's why the spiritual discipline of fasting exists and why it's been practiced by Christians throughout history. When we say no to something that's good uh, for a, a set period of time, whether that be food or some form of entertainment or other way of indulging ourselves, when we say, something, say no to something for a set period of time, we're able to train our bodies that, hey, I don't need to indulge myself in this way. I can, I can not do that for a while, and I'm still all right. Because those things were never meant to ultimately satisfy our deepest longings and cravings. And that's what we're doing together as a church through the form.life. If you haven't joined us, I want to encourage you um, to go to the form.life online or grab one of those uh, booklets or journals in your rows. Because us as a church, we're, we're going on this journey together through daily devotionals, learning more about this discipline of fasting and uh, growing that together by fasting from one meal a week until we build up towards the end of our series to do one 24-hour fast together as a church. So I encourage you, um, consider what that might look like for you and grab one of those booklets on your way out. 
So not only to enjoy pleasure as God's gift means to enjoy it on his terms, but also it means to enjoy pleasure gratefully. Since it's God's gift to humanity, whenever you receive a gift, what do you do? You say thank you. The practice of gratitude, it also shifts our focus from focusing on what we don't have and letting our desires grow and grow to focusing on what we do have and keeping and curtailing um, our, our desires and pursuit of pleasure. And also, since pleasure is meant to point beyond itself to God, as we thank God for it, that builds our relationship with him, that allows that gift to do what it was meant to do. Just think about, right, anytime a parent buys a gift for their child, they're wanting, that's, that's an expression of their love to that child. And if the child just took the gift and went away and played with it, never said thank you, and just completely disconnected from their parent, like if I got that Transformers action figure and just played with it and never talked to my parents ever again, that gift wouldn't be serving its purpose, right? Because gifts are meant to draw two people into a closer relationship with one another. And so we can do that with, with, with experiencing the different pleasures we have on earth and thanking God for them and practicing that practice of gratitude. But also we should enjoy pleasure for others. Since it's God's gift to humanity uh, and it's not our individual rights that we get to use however we want, we can enjoy good things and enjoy them with community and also find satisfaction from helping and serving others. You see, the teacher, he went wrong when he pursued pleasure with only himself in mind. And you'll find when you do that paradoxically that if you seek to only please yourself, you won't be pleased or find satisfaction. And Jesus says this right in his teachings too. If whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will save it. It's actually by giving ourselves away, serving other people through our time or investing our money instead of using it only to please ourselves, but investing in God's mission and in serving other people, that we start to find a deeper and more full purpose and satisfaction in life. And so, as we've seen today, pleasure, it promises much, but ultimately, when it's pursued as an end in itself, as a way to only please yourself, as without any kind of God-given limits in mind, it actually produces pain, both for you and for other people in your life. But that's because pleasure was always meant to point beyond itself, to point to life over the sun with God. So, in result, as a result, we should enjoy pleasure today as God's gift. So would you please pray with me to close. Dear Lord, thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us and, and, and creating a good world for us to enjoy these good things as things that point ultimately to you. God, I ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to each one of us what is, what is the created thing that we are loving more than you, our creator? And where can we see that in its rightful place as something that's pointing to you? And I pray that you would reveal that to us and also empower us to live more faithfully in light of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.